0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: How many believers today? Maybe maybe privately you might even admit this for yourself. You can tell people what you believe. You just can't tell them why. We're going to talk a bit about that today as we meet a very special guest, certainly a very familiar voice to KFAX listeners. He's heard weekday mornings at 7.30 a.m. here on KFAX, senior
2: pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland at Alistair. Great to have you on the program. Thank you, Craig. It's very kind of you, and uh, it's a a treat always to talk with you. My goodness, 30 years. Uh, (laughs) The Lord has done some amazing things over
1: the course of the last three decades. Could could you ever have imagined when you came from uh, Scotland with your your wife and young family all that time ago that that the Lord would have taken
2: you in this direction? No, I I honestly couldn't, and uh, it seems... In some ways, as though it was only yesterday, time has gone by so quickly, as you say, and yet uh, these have been great and privileged years, and uh, I really wouldn't want to change very much about them at all. It's been a peculiar joy to, uh, first of all, serve this congregation and have them be so long-suffering as to put up with me for three decades, and, uh, <laughs> and then the radio program on top of that is a, is a, is a wonderful opportunity that uh, we certainly are uh, humbled by and don't take for granted.
1: Well, and we don't take it for granted either, Alistair, because I think uh, many of us um, recognize the importance for a ministry such as yours that in, in the 30 years has moved, I think consistently and critically so, more and deeper into the arena of a cr- a Christian apologetics, of which, my goodness, if there was ever a day in time when we needed Christians to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within, this is it.
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I was listening to your introductory comments, and uh, I, ag- I agree with you entirely. And uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the fault, if there if there is an inadequate preparation on the part of uh, a Christian people, uh, a lot of the fault has to lie with those of us who are pastors, because our role is to prepare God's people for works of ministry, and uh, part of the ministry is the ministry of proclamation and. Uh, So uh, we don't want to chide ourselves too much, but we take seriously the peculiar challenges that are represented uh, in uh, the culture here in America, particularly and expressly so just in the last few days.
1: Well, and certainly, you know, uh, I think all of us perhaps begrudgingly can agree that there have been um, areas lacking in the modern-day American pulpit. But, but that said, the people in the pews have to take a little bit of responsibility to this, too. And I think about a, a wonderful focus that you bring. I was just going through the pages of um, the book that you've co-authored with Sinclair Ferguson, Name Above All Names. And I just, for the benefit of the audience, let me just quote um, a couple of opening lines here. Uh, Alistair writes, "'Jesus Christ has been given the name above all names. The names assigned to him begin in Genesis, end in Revelation.'" Taken together, they express the incomparable character of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Reflecting on them better prepares us to respond to the exhortations of Scripture, to focus our gaze upon Him, and to meditate on how great He is. Then Alistair continues, Being able to think long and lovingly about the Lord Jesus is a dying art. The disciplines required to reflect on him for a prolonged period of time and to be captivated by him have been relegated to a secondary place in contemporary Christian life. Action, rather than meditation, is the order of the day. Sadly, too often that action is not suffused with the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Boy, if anything could could handily sum up some of what we see in the trends taking place in in the church in specific and in our society at large that that certainly summarizes it
2: well yeah i think it's a, <laughs> i think it sounds so good i'm pretty sure that must be Sinclair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's right on the mark because we we don't ponder the word the way we used to And to reflect on Jesus Christ, to sit and imagine spending hours just pondering about the amazing gift of God's grace that, that God would be so passionate about his love for the creation that had nevertheless offended him so, and yet still he was willing to send his only begotten son to die on our behalf. It's such a greater love mankind has never known. And and I think that observation in name above all names is right on the mark that we've, it, we've lost the capacity or the desire or the heartbeat to want to ponder and study on that. And I imagine if we would recapture that, Ability, how the church could turn the world upside down.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, if you take the average person coming to church, they're, they're not asking the question, where is Jesus? They're asking, where am I? Mm. And uh, there's a sort of man-centered orientation to even the study of Scripture and even the way in which uh, the Bible is taught that sort of reinforces notions that are you know, sort of immediately appealing, but they don't have any long-lasting value. They're not going to stand uh, in, the, in the challenges of, of uh, time when a culture as, as ours turns increasingly secular and uh, the Christian church begins to uh, face the challenge of living as a minority uh, in, in the culture, which has not been uh, part and parcel of the American psyche, at, at least until this point in time.
1: How much of this really pivots on the church, its strength, its understanding of God's word, its ability to make disciples when we talk about the direction or the condition of of culture and society at large?
2: Well, you know, church history makes it fairly clear, I think, Craig, that, uh, that the collapse of the church has always been internal. You know, it it has always been able to handle the the challenges of persecution. The blood of the martyrs being the seed of the church. And when the prevailing drift on the outside has been at its most intense, uh, then the people of God have rediscovered who they are, what God expects of them, and they've they've rallied to the challenge. Um, but but the real danger is the the danger of a sort of internal. Uh, erosion and uh, a collapse in confidence, a loss of confidence in the in the relevance and in the truth and in the power of the good news itself. And again, many many people who pay lip service to to Jesus uh, will be uh, really uh, struggling to to stand up to the. The, the exclusivity of the claims of Jesus, that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus, that there's only one name by which men and women may be saved, and that is in the name of Jesus. And the the, the drift in culture in, in our um, uh, sort of deconstructed use of language and our understanding of history is so dominant that uh, it, it's absolutely imperative that uh, those who profess the name of Christ really dig in and understand just what it means for them to be in union with Christ and what a man in or a, mo- a woman in Christ really is. If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Pastor Alistair Begg with us on the
1: program. He, of course, is the host of Truth For Life, heard weekday mornings at 7.30 a.m. We're going to take a brief time out. When we come back, more of our conversation, we dig down into uh, the, the baseline importance of what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ as our conversation with Pastor Alistair Begg continues.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation. Pastor Alistair Big on the program tonight. More information on the web about the broadcast and ministry at truthforlife.org. That's truthforlife.org. The broadcast, weekday mornings at 7.30, right here on KFAX. You know, we hear these days, Alistair, uh churches that have huge crowds and folks that will get up in the platforms, on uh, the pulpit rather, and will share uh, platitudes and nice stories and things of this sort. It seems though that on an ever-increasing basis, preaching about the blood of Christ, the atonement, preaching about the need to count the cost of what it truly needs to, means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is something that is that seems to be glaringly
2: absent. Well, yes, I, you know, I think... Um, it's always dangerous to generalize and I know you understand that too um, yeah I think we've gone through a real a, a real period of time in which you know that idea of the way to make sure that we don't offend anybody is to uh, dilute things to the point of uh, pretty well tastelessness and um you know when um, the old uh, Scottish theologian spoke to the Yale divinity students, uh, uh, James Stewart in in 1952, uh, he warned them 52, which is 61 years ago, about what he referred to as a a, a theologically vague and harmlessly accommodating kind of Christianity, which he said was absolutely useless. Mm. And you know I, I think we're seeing the evidences of that now. And one of the one of the encouraging things for me is. Somebody who's now moved into, you know, uh, my 60s is to see how many young men, though, are coming through in uh, various places in the country and who have really fastened on to the idea that uh, if we're going to take seriously what it means that Jesus is Lord, then we have no right to tamper with or to dilute or to try and redefine the claims of Jesus. But we must just state them as they are. And of course, to fail to do so really uh, sort of strips the gospel of its life changing power, doesn't it? Well, of course it does. I mean, the me- I mean, in, in first century Corinth, Paul knew that uh, you know if he gave the people what they wanted to to receive, whether it was the Jew or the Greek, then they would receive him with open arms. Uh, but the one thing that, uh, that they were unprepared for is um, you know the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There certainly seems to be, as we look at
1: society today, uh, Western culture, there still seems to be a desire and interest in spiritual things. I I think that sense of of man's deep, innate longing uh, to be connected with God is there. We just, on an ever-increasing basis, don't know how to define it, and we head out to many false sources to try and address it or satisfy it, be it through pagan religion or the occult or whatever the case might be. Um, and, And yet, so we see still a strong hunger, a song, spiritual desire. But it seems as if fewer people are really turning to Christianity, perhaps because we're not sharing the message with the kind of clarity and relevance that is needed to pierce people's hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and present a gospel that people can look at and say, wow, there's real power
2: behind this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really helpful, Craig. I, you know, we have an Australian friend who visits here, you know, every few years, and I remember the last time he was here, he made a comment concerning your sort of American Christianity, and of course we want to be as guarded with Australians as we should be with Scotsmen. But uh, <laughs> he, he, you know, he said that he he, he he sensed a tone in American Christianity which was which was a tone of admonition rather than a tone of mission. So mm. that we were going to the culture to admonish them for everything that was wrong. Uh, you know, in their belief system and in their expressions of their understandings. And I think it is an important thing to realize that uh, Jesus never, ever, um, he never deviated from the clarity of his message. And yet the way in which he approached Zacchaeus or the way in which he approached the woman at the well, you know, is is a masterful illustration to us of the way in which uh, we ought to be prepared to, to speak to people on the, on the troubled
1: seas of life. Have we missed the mark then to a great degree in the sense Alistair that I think of the the wave of evangelicalism uh, getting involved in the body politic in a significant fashion first in the late 1970s and and certainly in through the decade of the 1980s and into the 90s not to suggest at all before listeners flood the phone lines here and I get in trouble that that we don't have an obligation as believers to vote and be involved in this business of self-governance. I believe that we do. And yet, oftentimes, it seemed as if there was a time in which we exchanged our involvement in the body politic for the realization that if we're going to change the world, we have to change hearts. You really can't affect change of heart by making political change. Yes, things and work needs to be done. Certainly, the evidence of the um, uh, what's been coming out of Washington, D.C. in the last couple of days proves that. Yet, at the end of the day, the real
2: power is the is the changed heart. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we do want to make sure that, that each of us are seizing the privileges and responsibilities of living in a democracy like this and making our voice heard and standing up for, uh, you know, moral rectitude and for, for biblical values and so on. But, um, you know, I, I think it's probably too soon to make these determinations, and I'm also fearful of overstepping my bounds here. But if you think back to... Well, I've been here three decades, so I get here right around the time I think that the moral majority and uh, and that whole movement is, you know, is is coming to the fore and doing what it's done, and you know, it's gone all the way around. But you know, I think we have to say that it actually, it really hasn't achieved its objectives. Mm. It's been it's it's been unable to to do this. I mean, we, we're we're talking now. Uh, the day after the Supreme Court, you know, passes down what is it certainly couldn't be any any anything other than um, a, a testimony to to immorality and to the the the, um, the the very reverse of the things that were angled for and laboured for. And I, I actually am quite excited about it, though, Craig. I I'm not despondent. I'm not wringing my hands. I I think that there are certain things that are bad for our country that may well prove to be good for the church mm. if we if we recognize that as we must that god is sovereign over these things that he is the one who sets people up and he is the one who brings them down um, he doesn't do that in a vacuum and therefore our voice must be heard but we have to recognize too that you know our view of the world is is a much different larger, vaster conception of what is going on. We're actually affirming the fact that Jesus Christ is not only a resurrected uh, Savior, but he is an ascended king, that he rules over the cosmos, and that the, the providence of God is such that nothing happens except through him and by his will. That's basic biblical Christianity, which, of course, challenges a worldview that is deistic or pantheistic. Uh, which, of course, is you know, uh, both both perspectives are prevalent in in our contemporary society. So that really takes
1: us back then to the centrality of His Lordship, and maybe time, as you point out, for some introspection of the Church. As much as it's easy to become dismayed by these events, morally, politically, even economically, that's been occurring in our country and in sort of the the micro and globally in the macro. To understand that for the Church, focusing back on teaching and prayer and giving ourselves to evangelism and to worship and giving to the poor and, and certainly discipleship, if we can get back to those key things, then I think God can indeed have us in the position where he can better use us to
2: influence culture and society around us. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you think about, for example, an era like, uh, you know, the 18th century awakening with yes. you've, you all you always have strong, strong preaching. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, you know, apparently didn't have very many sermons, but nobody misunderstood him when he spoke. And he combined, as did Spurgeon in Victorian England, um, a real commitment to the good news, the proclamation of the good news, combined with expressions of good deeds, so that both of them were engaged in in the social um, dimension of their immediate environment whether it was in chicago or in london both of them were involved with orphanages and yet they did not for a moment confuse the necessity of people turning to christ in repentance and faith with uh, the the good and necessary outflow of christian uh, living that that uh, cares for the, for those who are least and last and left out if there could be one singular message That is central
1: to your heartbeat, the one message that you'd like to get across to every man and woman who has named Jesus as Lord and Savior, what would that be?
2: Wow. Well, I think if I just apply it to myself, I mean, I think to fully understand that, you know, when Paul says one day at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to understand. That, that he's not talking there about that being an expression of devotion. He's talking about being a, an expression of his identity. That what he's saying there is that this that this Jesus, as the apostles did post-Pentecost, this Jesus whom you crucified, uh, God has made in both Lord and King. And therefore... I have no freedom to believe anything other than what he teaches me and what he teaches me is left for me in the scriptures and I have no freedom to behave in any other way than that for which uh, to which I'm called and that then you know impacts every area of our lives uh, our vocation uh, our sexuality uh, our marriages uh, our singleness whatever it might be and you know then then we have an opportunity to uh, to speak to people. And, and often, uh, you know, the, the attractiveness of it uh, ought to be found in the loveliness of Christ, mm. the compassion of Christ, the patience of Christ. And I think so often, if you, if you take, for example, and sometimes the media has branded us in this way and a few crazy people have, have led to it, but, but I think we do have to face the fact that we often come across as a rather disgruntled and angry bunch of people as opposed to a people who say that they have been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's often interesting if you talk to non-believers um, and get their opinion about Christians, uh, they can give you a long list, a big litany of what it is that we are against. Right. And then when you ask them, can you tell us what Christians are for, Their silence. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and that speaks volumes, certainly.
2: Yeah, it does. I mean, I, 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 you know, if you think about Jesus with the woman at the well, you know, what a what a conversation starts. May I have a drink of water, please? You know, he doesn't. He he eventually gets to the point. You know, when he asks her to call her husband, and and she admits that you know she's had a number of husbands and she has a live-in lover. But that's no that's not what he starts with. I mean, he's not sitting at the well with a big sign condemning you know her uh, her multiple relationships. He he starts by as simply engaging her
1: in conversation. Hey, we as the church can learn a lot from that example, that we might be better to engage the culture and society around us for the sake of the gospel by simply beginning with engaging others in conversation and, of course, ultimately understanding what it means to be a disciple, to count the cost. We sure appreciate your time, your faithfulness to the Lord, and the caliber and quality of your uh, teaching ministry. Thanks so much again for the time. There's Pastor Alistair Begg. Again, uh, his broadcast is weekday mornings at 730 here on KFAX. And uh, wow, 30 years of ministry at Parkside Church in uh, Cleveland, and what a blessing it is to have him as part of the ministry here at KFAX. And let me just say this. If Alistair's pulpit ministry has been a blessing to you, would you take a moment today and jot him a note. It's not about puffing people up, but you know, sometimes it's good to know that you're making a difference, that what you're saying and what you're teaching and your heartbeat and your passion for God and for his word is impacting lives. And if you would take a moment today to drop him a note, I know that he would certainly be blessed and encouraged by that. You can get more information about the ministry at truthforlife.org, truthforlife.org.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: America's at war right now. We, we forget this. Uh, we don't, for many of us, we, we, we're not aware of it. It's kind of silently going on in the background. We don't feel the pain of it because we either don't know anybody who's serving or, you know, we, we don't do things like you know, aluminum and tire drives and there there isn't meat and sugar rationing. So we're not really aware of the sacrifice that's involved in military duty. But for those military families in America, hundreds of thousands of them, they know what it's like each and every single day. And we thought we'd spend some time just kind of educating all of us on on what they go through and the amazing sacrifice, not just on the battlefield, but even back at home, uh, on the home front. Uh, with a mother or a father or both sometimes and kids that, that are, that are at home kind of keeping the, the, the home fires burning, so to speak, while mom or dad are overseas, uh, in, in service to our country. Joining me now is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti. Um, he with his wife Peggy, Penny rather, are, uh, authors of a new book called Call to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military families and uh lieutenant munetti and penny great to have both of you with us
3: thank you it's great to be here
1: yeah thanks Craig. great to be on board we were we were trying to debate uh ahead of the conversation today uh tony um short for your position is it lieutenant is it colonel or 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 would military decorum insist to be lieutenant uh, colonel they call
4: me tony but i'm a lieutenant colonel in the air force
1: in the air force okay but typically there's no way to really truncate that is there
4: No, not really. Lieutenant Colonel.
1: Lieutenant Colonel. We'll go with Tony. I like that. It's easier.
4: Tony's fine, man. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, so, you know, um, Tony makes me feel like I'm back home.
1: There you go. All right. (laughs) Well, Well, Tony, talk to us a bit first, if you would, about the reality check here that a lot of, I think families who are beginning the experience of military duty, they might either be newly married or newly into the military, and even for the rest of us out there that really don't understand what your families go through.
4: Yeah, for those of you that are just joining uh, the military, and for those of you who have no clue on what it's like to be in the military, uh, I'm glad to talk to you a little bit about Call to Serve and, and what it's like. Uh, I've had the privilege to serve in America for uh, almost 24 years now as an officer in the United States Air Force, and uh, I can just tell you that it's a privilege and an honor to be part of the military, um, but it's also really exciting and, uh, lo- you know, lots of new changes every day uh, as far as, uh, you know, what you may or may not be doing. I mean, I've, I've been called to serve and, and gone overseas on moment's notice, and next thing I know I'm in a foreign country, and, and it's exciting, but there's also a lot of transitions and challenges that we have to... Uh, uh, take part of, especially for our families, and that's. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, for example, my oldest son Nico, who right now just graduated from Chapman from in L.A. Uh, he he went to three different high schools, you know, in in three years. And for those of us that have been to high school, you know how tough it is to move once, and to let alone three times. So yeah, you know, it, it takes gets them getting used to lots of moves, lots of transitions. But overall, uh, we have a heart for service to America and and we just find it's a privilege and an honor to serve.
1: It was interesting because some of us on the outside that that are not involved in active military duty or perhaps have never been a part of a military family, uh, see the excitement, the glamour, you know, that you're traveling and you're doing all of this and, and, you know, and a lot of it, no doubt, is born out of the television ads that we see, you know, the recruitment ads and so forth, but not really realizing that there's a backside story to this that is difficult that is painful at times that certainly is is challenging i guess when you get on the back side of it uh, a lot of those those initially painful and frustrating moments turn into 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 joyful ones on the back side i, I penny yeah. i had to laugh in in reading your story uh, you got uh, to talking about um when you guys were called to uh, uh vicenza in in northeast italy and you're <laughs> Your initial experience is there, um, which I don't know if Let you're Let me ba-
3: go home to yeah. America.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know, obviously, Tony's background is Italian. Is your, are you of Italian descent as well?
3: No, I'm not. And I, I thought I knew Italian until I put my feet on foreign soil in Italy and realized how fast they talk. So uh-huh. <laughs> it was you know, it it was such an eye opening experience going to another country, and I, I wish everybody in the in America has the experience of living in another country at least for a, a month to to realize um, how great it is in America. But when when we went there, uh, our initial, you know, when we first landed there, the um, I, I tell the story about being in uh, at a fountain. And uh, hearing the the kerplunks and the of coins going into a fountain, and as I toss my coins and I make sure they missed, because the legend of the Trevi Fountain is that when you throw the coin into the fountain, you'll return to You'll Rome. return. That's right. And, yeah. And at that point, there was nothing I wanted more than to be back home in America. And uh, but as I as I experienced Italy and I learned the culture, um, and this was after a. a a very uh, interesting first first month because my husband was hospitalized and had to undergo surgery and so during that time i had i was on my own with the kids to find an apartment not speaking the language and going through a lot of the um You know trying to get through italy and the driving and all of the you know things that you have to get through in a new country and we weren't really affiliated with the base we were an hour and 20 minutes away from a base so So
1: you really didn't have the support necessarily there of of the fellow you know uh military personnel you're in a strange country um, and, and, and I have to admit, we Italians can be sometimes a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, the, the stories you share of your, your first meeting with your with your downstairs neighbor were particularly encouraging. Uh, well,
3: I, you know, after being cooped up in a hotel for a month with three kids and a dog, and, um, and Tony was still on bed rest, we moved over to finally finding a, an apartment with a kitchen because you can't find one in Italy that has a kitchen because everybody takes them when they move. And we finally found one with a kitchen, and as we were moving in and the kids were getting ready to go to the pool, because I, they, I bribed them with uh, going to the pool after we unpacked, and uh, I heard a knock on the door, and as I went to the door, a beautiful middle-aged woman came to the door, and uh, I thought, God, this is wonderful. We've got Italian hospitality right off the bat. They're going to welcome me. <laughs> and she said, in broken English, she said, she said how long do you plan on a being here? And I said, "Well, maybe two years." and she said, "Well, I cannot have all of this noise on my head for two years i I want you to stop and and she was and she said something in Italian that I'm sure was not very nice and she stormed out the door and I thought, Oh my goodness this is this is my first experience with our neighbors so we were a little bit I was a little bit frazzled, and so I took the kids to the pool, and as I went to the pool. I sat down on a chair and found one that wasn't populated. It was, you know, there was very crowded, and I sat down, and the whole chair busted, and I saw the Tatiana was the lady downstairs. I saw her smirking with another woman, and I could tell even in another language, they were probably talking about me. And uh, then a, a, an Adonis-looking man came over to my chair, and he said in broken English, these chairs belong to people here. You're going to need, you know, this is not, you're going to have to take care of the expense for this chair. <laughs> and and so I decided, okay, it's time for me to go back to the apartment. And as I went back, I realized because I was frazzled, I locked the, the keys into the house. And... Uh, so I called my husband. He called the landlady, and explained to him in Ita- her in Italian that you know what had happened. And so uh, she said she would come right over in three hours. And <laughs> <laughs> so
1: you're lucky yeah, it was that she, it, you're lucky it was that quickly. <laughs> you're right.
3: Usually it's Domani. We learned that Domani, tomorrow Domani. in Italian. <laughs> but uh, anyway, she came over three hours and twenty minutes later to find us sunburned and thirsty and and. Uh, I, I explained to her in in english and even though she didn't understand a word she under- she empathized with me and gave me a big hug and From then on, i learned that um, that the italian culture uh I, we learned to embrace it and instead of being afraid of another country we learned to um to to really embrace their their values and their culture and ended up having a just a beautiful experience where at the end of my story, I'm back at Trevi Fountains and I'm throwing loads of coins in because I didn't want to leave. This I considered home. So it's all, it's all in the, what you make of it.
1: And, and along the way, I'm sure, you, if not learning literally how to speak the language, you know, if you know how to use your hands in the right places <laughs> at the right time, you know, that, that, that's the that's best way correct. to communicate. My, my father has a great joke. He says, You know how to make an Italian shut up? Tie his hands behind his back. (laughs) That's
3: how I I silence my husband. You're right. (laughs) I
1: I can say that because I'm Italian. We're going to take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. With us tonight, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti, along with his wife, Penny. The book is called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. And and the new book, by the way, published by Discovery House. You can find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. We'll come back with some more insights as this edition of Lifeline continues news
0: and now back to lifeline with craig roberts
1: and with lieutenant colonel tony manetti from the united states air force along with his wife penny we're talking about a new book called called to serve encouragement support and inspiration for military families you know as much as we i got such a big kick out of your your experiences there um uh, penny in Vicenza the notion that for a lot of families, this is a sad story, this is a tough thing. There are some wives out there that say, you know, when when I met my spouse, he wasn't in the military, or if he was, I don't know that I fully understood this, and he's the one who enlisted, not me, and all of a sudden we're now kind of all in this thing together.
3: It, it really is a team effort. You can't do it uh, one person. And that's one thing that I, I've realized with most spouses, is that they understand that in, they're serving their country also by supporting their spouse on the home front while they're away on the battlefront.
1: See, if there's any message we could communicate to those eavesdropping on our conversation tonight, that think of the one who was in service to God and country in the military as singularly the individual who, you know, carries the, the epilepsy or the the, the you know the, the military regalia or, or what have you. It's not just them. Literally, the families are in service as well, aren't they?
3: Yeah, you, you really are. And the one thing that I would leave with spouses that's so important while their warriors are serving abroad is not to isolate themselves, to stay connected with family members, with their churches, with their uh, community and the military. Because once you become isolated, and, and the Bible verse comes to mind of 1 Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and alert your enemy, prowls around like the roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The lion, when he hunts, he separates the, the prey from the pack. And that's what the devil does with, with any of us in our lives, that when he wants to attack, is he separates us from those who give us the most strength. And sticking with uh, you know with your your accountability partners, with um, good friends, that helps and that's the same goes with the warriors that are serving overseas that they surround themselves with a good strong community of friends and uh, positive influences and stay in the word that is that is what the you know the best thing to do.
1: Tony does that also give you? sense of peace of mind as well because let's face it you're you're out there you're right now you're buying the the b2 stealth bomber you're going on missions and and sorties and so forth uh does it give you a greater sense of of peace as you're about this very stressful critically important job to know that things are being taken home care of at home
4: well without question every every warrior that that deploys overseas Is more at peace and able to focus on the mission when they know that uh, their families are being taken care of, and I can I can tell you that our government and our Department of Defense does a great job in uh, supporting our families, giving them good medical treatment, you know, giving them good security and housing. I mean, uh, there's no other greater country than than America on this planet, and and it's nice to know that that our our uh, government, our, our our military, is taking care of our families. But more importantly, like Penny was alluding to. Uh, it, it starts with the home. As far as you, as a, as a warrior, sh- explaining to your wife and children and being honest with them that there's, there's a possibility you may deploy at any moment, and so it's, you know, have your will done, power of attorney, have the, the lines of communication open so that they know that they can rely on talking to you if and when possible. But more importantly, that to know that they're they're a strong family unit so that when you leave, they're going to be taken care of because they're strong.
1: Absolutely. Uh, any any words of advice that you can share. Uh, and let me start, uh, Tony, first with you. Um, for those listening right now that are not in the military, um, you know, you're, you're doing your duty. I think we as Americans have a duty to you, uh, to help support you. What 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 should we who are, are, are in the civilian end of this, uh, how can we better support you guys? And, and most importantly, your families, too.
4: I think uh, that's a great question. Uh, Craig, uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that you know, when we're in uniform and people see us either at the airport or, or even just uh, in town, that they say thanks for serving. I know that sounds cliche-ish, but just the, uh, knowing that you care and you're appreciated is great. And I, I can also say that if there's business people out there, um, I know times are tough, uh, but if you offer some sort of military appreciation, uh, whatever that may be, it, it just, it's just special. My son just enlisted in the Army um, a few weeks ago, decided to go in. And Wait a minute, wait a minute. The the
1: Army? You're in the Air Force. Hang know, on a minute please. here. What happened, Forget Tony? I don't even let me go in. What ahead? happened?
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's always wanted to be a G.I. Joe, you know? It's okay. But, both uh, both
1: of my but, grandfathers were in the Navy. What does my father really? do? He joins the Marines.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, we got a true joint force now. But, when my, but my, what I was getting at was Antonio joined the military. They gave him an ID card. He starts training here soon. And um, and he went to a store, and they, they, they gave him a military discount, like 10% off. And he goes, wow, Dad, that's really cool that they appreciate me. I go, yeah, see that, son? I go, it's just their way of saying thanks. So I would say to the listeners out there um, that, that there's, that's one of the things you can do. Uh, another thing that's, that, that you can do, if you go to calltoserveministry.com, we literally have pages of information of and penny and i have researched of almost i would not say almost about a hundred different organizations that are supporting the military and so if you're interested in getting involved in connecting with these with these organizations so that you can connect with warriors overseas that's another great thing you can do of course there's uh, there's letters of encouragement you can write when i was overseas i would get letters from kids saying thanks for serving america i mean that that meant so much to me i still have those letters of boxes down the basement, and that
1: because it just meant a lot to me, you know. Yeah, and and supporting organizations like the USO and so forth. Absolutely, and yes, sir. No doubt about it. And, and Penny, from your perspective, uh, same question.
3: Well, I, I would definitely say for those families that are on the home front, and maybe there's someone you go to church with or you know of, um, reaching out to them, just uh, offering them to babysit once in a while. They don't realize that you know you don't really get a break. Uh, often because you're away from family in most cases and your husband is usually the break that you or your or your wife if it's a, vice versa is the break that you get when uh, to to get out so just offering to babysit or having someone come over and mow a yard or maybe you know a child that is their parent is deployed and going to their baseball game and taking them out for ice cream afterwards because their parents not there it just Shows them so much that that just that they're cared about, and it gives that warrior on the on the battlefront just a sense of peace knowing that his family is being taken care Absolutely. of.
1: Absolutely. Well, I love what you guys are doing. Again, we want to urge folks, uh, you can get educated by getting a copy of this new book, Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. Get more details, too, about this ministry, how you can get involved in making a difference and helping to support those in service to our nation through com. That's calledtoserveministry.com. Dot com and our appreciation out to uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Manetti and his wife Penny. Uh, uh, Tony, one thought when, when you when you talk to Antonio next, you just got to say, you know, kid, you join the army, why walk when you can fly?
3: <laughs> I love it.
1: I promise you, I'll ask. I'll, I'll, I'll you got to say I'm that, happy. you know. <laughs> Army's okay, but why walk when you can fly?
4: Yeah, I, I don't understand it for the life of me, but you know, uh, I, I'm happy that he chose to. To defend america and be part of uh, our military service
1: well we so we, we, are, we are we are privileged to have great men like you serving our nation thank you so much for yes, the duty sir. that you do penny thank you for the sacrifice that you make in supporting uh, tony and the job that he does for our nation and uh, keep up the good work thank, thank you sir god our bless our you honor. all right thank take you, care now god bless you. all right ciao as we say in italian si vediamo pronto